Last summer, when I was on my three-month sabbatical, um, God impressed two main things upon my heart over the summer. Um, The first one was what I shared about this past fall, which was those rhythms of rest that God was inviting me into and inviting us into. And, and, And I shared about that a lot throughout the fall, these rhythms of rest. But the second thing, the second thing that I really felt God speaking to me and impressing upon my heart over the summer was God's heart for all nations. Um, His desire for his church to be a community that brings together people from all nations, ethnicities, and races, and showing unity in the midst of diversity. Um, Now, this idea, I think, feels particularly relevant in our world, um, you know, as we think about just the many examples of division that exist in our society, and the issue of race in particular became very prominent in our national discourse uh, over the summer after the killing of George Floyd last spring. But one of the things as I was processing that event and kind of the aftermath of it, one of the things that I was convicted of was that it can be very easy to preach um, a sermon on, on an issue like that you know, right after a significant event like that. Um, But then it can be very easy to just move on, just like the media does, you know, move on to the next thing. And so I, as I was wrestling with this question of, of, of how do we deal with this reality in our world, I felt God challenging me to preach on this area, not as a reaction to current events, but as a theme that we find in scripture, which we see, from the very beginning to the very end of Scripture, which then should shape how we see and interact with events when they happen in our world. And so one of the things that I was wrestling about this over my sabbatical, I began to think about the fact that God has given our congregation an incredible gift by gathering together people from different nationalities and ethnic backgrounds to be a part of this same community of faith. Um, In our congregation, I don't know if you know this, but we have individuals from ethnic backgrounds as varied as Chinese, Norwegian, Indian, Italian, Filipino, Puerto Rican, Jamaican, and others, and including some who have multiple ethnicities in their cultural background, like my own kids. But I wonder if we understand that this is actually a gift to us and how much of a gift it is and what it would look like to press into this diversity and grow deeper together, not just glossing over our cultural differences, but exploring them and appreciating them and being transformed by seeing the world and even our own faith through the lens of someone who's culturally different than you. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to be preaching through a sermon series called God's Heart for All Nations. Um, In our scripture reading earlier in the service that Ronnie read uh, from Revelation 7, it gives us this amazing picture of heaven. And what is the picture that we get of heaven? It is a multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language praising God together. And that is the picture that we get at the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, the future that we have to look forward to, 
that is where God's story of redemption ultimately leads. And so what we're going to do over this sermon series is start by looking at this theme from the very beginning of the Bible, starting in the first book of Genesis, and then look at how this theme threads its way all the way from Genesis through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, until we finally arrive at that amazing picture that we get in Revelation. So today we're going to start with the beginning. That's my sermon title today. How do we see God's heart for all nations, for a community of diverse people living in unity, even from the very beginning of Scripture, from the very beginning of creation? Our text today is Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 26 through 31. And and that's the question we're going to be looking at and focusing on together today. So Genesis 1 beginning with verse 26. Hear God's word to us today. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. God, as we look at this very, very beginning where you are creating the world, creating the first humans. Help us to see your heart that we see in Revelation, even at the very beginning. So open up your word to us today. Open up our hearts, Lord, and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to bring out three different uh, aspects of this text as they specifically relate to this idea of God's heart for all nations. And the first is that God intended cultural diversity from the beginning. God intended cultural diversity from the beginning. From the very beginning, when God first created humans, he intended for there to be cultural diversity within humanity. It was his idea. Where do we see that? Well, we see it in in verse 28 of our text which reads, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. I've underlined that that phrase in this verse, fill the earth. When God first created the first humans, Adam and Eve, male and female, his first command was to be fruitful and increase in number. Have babies, right? He says to them. But then he says, as their numbers increase, they are to fill the earth. And this command to fill the earth means that God intended cultural diversity from the very beginning. 
Why is that? Well, I was struck by this insight uh, this summer when I was reading a book called Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0 by Brenda Salter McNeil. And in this book, she talks about how God's command for humans to multiply and fill the earth means that as they spread out, they would necessarily encounter different environmental conditions, which would cause them to develop different cultural lifestyles. I mean, think about that. People who are spreading out and moving into the continent of Africa are, going to, are just going to develop different ways of growing food and different types of clothing and different kinds of homes than people who were spreading out into the continent of Asia or the continent of Europe. Salter McNeil says, so the result of God's command to fill the earth would be difference. Different stories, different words, different myths, songs, styles of communication, food, clothing. The development of different cultures didn't take God by surprise. This is what the triune God intended from the beginning. Cultural difference and diversity was always a part of God's original plan for human beings. This command to fill the earth, as people spread out upon the earth, there's going to be difference that will develop among humanity. And this is part of God's intention as he tells them to do that. There's a children's book that we got for our kids a couple years ago that I brought with me today. And it's a book that's titled God's Very Good Idea. Um, it's by Trillia Newbell. And in this book, she focuses on this kind of idea. And so I want to read for you the beginning of this story. It says this, In the beginning, in fact, before the beginning, God had a very good idea. God's idea was to make people, lots of people, lots of different people, who would all enjoy loving him and all enjoy loving each other. They would all be made in his image. They would all be like mirrors, reflecting what God is like. Because God is full of love, they would be full of love too. And the book goes on then to talk about this, this good idea that God has, but then it goes on to explain that right off the bat, people ruined God's very good idea. That the very first people that he created chose not to love God as they should, which meant that they also became unable to love each other well. And now the same thing is true for us. And one of the results of this is that sometimes we treat others badly because they're different from us. But when we realize that God intended cultural diversity from the beginning, then there is a problem if we find ourselves thinking that my culture is the best, that my culture's way of doing things is the right way, that everyone else should adapt themselves to me and my culture because that attitude is opposed to what God intended from the very beginning, which is that he wanted different cultures. He wanted different ways of doing things. 
And so we should rejoice in the diversity of cultures that God intended to exist in our world. Now, the second thing that we see in this passage is that all people from every culture are created in God's image. In verse 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, up to this point, God had created many things in creation, many living things, the birds in the air, the fish in the sea, animals on the land. But God here decides that he wants to create a being that is unique from all of his other creatures. And the thing that he wants to do to make this creature unique is that he wants to create a being that bears the image of God himself. Now, there have been volumes written about what exactly the image of God is referring to. In fact, I took a class in seminary that the whole class was about that, wrestling with different interpretations of what the image of God is referring to in humanity, that what makes us unique. But the text that we read in Genesis 1, it doesn't identify any particular aspect of humanity that, that makes us in the image of God. It doesn't say that. Rather, the point that, that Genesis 1 is making is that God singles out humanity to be the ones who would uniquely reflect and represent God on the earth. That we are meant to image God, to reflect God, to mirror God here on earth. Now, part of what helps us understand this is that in the ancient Near East, the Hebrew word that's translated image here usually referred to a statue, a statue that was meant to represent a god or a ruler. And so this statue or image, it represented the one who is depicted, and it showed that this god or this ruler had authority in that particular location where the statue was set up. And sometimes even a king would be described as being in an image of a god and therefore ruling on that god's behalf. But here, in Genesis 1, the one true god doesn't make a statue to represent himself. And he also doesn't make a particular king to be his image bearer. No, in verse 27, it says, God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. How does God decide he's going to mark that this is his territory? This is, he is the ruler. This is the one that's going to re represent him. It's not in a statue. It's not in a king. It's in all people. It's in all people. He says, that God created man in his own image. That, that word man in the Hebrew is the word that refers to all of humanity, Adam, Adamah. And God creates both male and female. And together they are created in the image of God. So God's image isn't imprinted on a statue. It's not imprinted on just certain people like kings. No, God's image is imprinted on every human being both male and female. And so we are all created to represent God and to rule under God's authority. And so as these humans began to spread out, to fill the earth, like God told 
Adam and Eve, that they were that their children were to fill the earth. And we see today that that has happened, right? Our earth is filled. That each of those humans that began to spread out and fill the earth, all of them bore that same image of God. And so as cultures formed and as humans became more and more different from each other in customs and skin color and language, the one thing that continued to make them all the same was that they were all bearing the image of God. And so this has a couple of implications for us. The first implication of this is that every person, regardless of race or ethnicity, has value and should be treated with dignity. If every human being bears the image of God, then every human being has value and should be treated with great honor and dignity. As I said, one of the ways that that God tells the first humans to express his image on the earth is to rule over it. He tells them, rule over everything. And so basically what God is telling us is that humans are royalty. That we are rulers in this world. That we all bear God's image and we have all been given authority to rule over the earth. And so just to drive this home, I want you to turn to someone who's near you. Maybe if you're sitting next to someone, you can. You're six feet apart. You can kind of look over them, okay? And I want you to say to this, to someone who's near you, hello, your majesty. All right? Hello, your majesty. That's right. We are royalty. We are valued. God has created us in his image to rule. And this is why, as we look back on the history of humanity and we see the ways that this, that this command that God gave fell way short, it should fill us with deep grief as we think about the failure of this to happen in our world. A practice in our own nation, slavery, was so antithetical to what the Bible teaches. American slavery took a group of people defined by the color of their skin, their country of origin, and treated them like property to be bought and sold instead of men and women created in the image of God. And this was actually the argument that many abolitionists made at the time, especially many abolitionists who were Christians, who said, how in the world can we have a practice like this that is treating people made in the image of God like property? And the same thing applies today as we think about the way that that certain groups of people are treated in our own society. When when immigrants are demonized or, or just viewed as a problem to be solved, or when people of one particular race are viewed as more likely to be criminals and therefore are stopped by police more frequently, or when people from a particular ethnic group are automatically viewed with suspicion and seen as potential terrorists, these are examples of individuals who have been created in the image of God being treated not as image bearers, but as a part of a group of people 
and treated as a problem because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background. On July 4th, 1965, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, titled The American Dream. And in it, he said this, we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man, from a treble white to a base black, is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. We all have value and should be treated with dignity. Now, another implication of this is also that no single culture expresses the fullness of the image of God, but every culture reflects aspects of God's image. Because every person is created in God's image, and God intended humanity to spread out and form different cultures, that means that people in every culture will bear and express God's image. But there is no single culture that expresses the fullness of God's image. But every culture will reflect aspects of God's image. Another book that I read this summer was called The Beautiful Community by Erwin Ince Jr. And at one point in the book, he writes this, if God displays his beauty in his Trinitarian life, it's talking about God as Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If God displays his beauty in Trinitarian life, we should expect that beauty to be reflected in the humanity that images him. While each person is royalty, like we just talked about, we find the fullest expression of the image in community. If God is three in one, then if we are meant to image God, to reflect God, then the greatest way that that's going to happen is in humanity as unity in diversity, right? Just as God is three and one. And so Ince Jr. goes on to say, the image of God is much too rich for it to be realized in a single race, ethnic group, or culture. The fullness of God's image is not going to be found just in one culture, but it's found in a multiplicity of cultures. When I was in college, I spent a summer on a mission trip to Manila, the capital of the Philippines. And it was my first time being immersed in another culture that was different from mine for an extended period of time. And as I spent time getting to know our Filipino hosts and learning about Filipino culture, I was struck by a couple of things. First, there was this level of hospitality and welcome that I experienced in the Philippines that was different from anything I'd ever experienced before. And second, there was this deep sense of community and family that was so present among the people that we got to know. In Filipino culture, you call any male person who is older than you, kuya, which means older brother. And you call any female person who is older than you, ate, which means big sister. 
And so immediately, we were just meeting these hosts, and immediately they told me, call me big brother. Call me big sister. And, and, and kids were calling me their big brother. And other people on our team, big sister. Now, I know that, that those two things are not unique only to Filipino culture. There are other cultures that have those tendencies as well. But for me, being in the Philippines, immersed in this different culture than mine, it opened my eyes to aspects of what it means to be made in the image of God in a new way. This emphasis on hospitality and seeing everyone as a brother or sister in that culture, it brought out aspects of who God is. That God is a God who welcomes us. And he invites us into the family of God. And it wasn't as if I had never thought about those things before or that I had never experienced those things in my own culture. Of course, I experienced family, I experienced welcome, but there was something about being in a different culture that brought out these aspects of God's image in a new way to me, in a way that I hadn't seen in the same way. See, when we step outside of our own culture and try to see things from someone else's culture, it can open our eyes to things that we may have missed. Things about God, things about the scriptures, things about what it means to be made in God's image that we may not have noticed before. And to be, and maybe to better understand what it means to be made in God's image. So from this first chapter in Genesis, we see that God intended cultural diversity from the very beginning as he called the first humans to fill the earth, and as they filled it, to, that they were going to form different cultures as they spread out. And the second thing we saw was that all people from every culture are created in God's image, and therefore are worthy of our respect and dignity, and therefore no one culture has the monopoly on God's image. But unfortunately, we all know that things didn't stay the way that God intended originally, did they? As I mentioned earlier in, in this children's story, God's very good idea, the first humans ruined God's very good idea. And in just the third chapter of Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And that had implications. What it meant was that that Adam and Eve no longer represented God's image perfectly in their lives. And from that point on, none of us represents God's image perfectly in our lives either. And nor does any culture. Although we see aspects of God's culture, God's image in every culture, we also see aspects in every culture that are fallen and broken and far from representing God's image. And we see that in every, no, no culture is immune from that either. And Adam and Eve's fall also caused division between humans so that Adam and Eve's own two sons, right off the bat, their own son Cain killed his brother Abel. Cain didn't treat his brother as someone made in God's image, deserving of dignity and respect. He killed him. 
And very quickly, groups of people who began to form in the earth began fighting with those who were different from them. And as we're going to see next week in our next passage in Genesis, humanity even resisted God's command to spread out and fill the earth. They didn't want to follow God's intention for cultural diversity in order to express the image of God in many different ways. No, they said, we're going to stay right here and build something that's going to lift up our name, that's going to lift up our image. And we're going to look at that more next week. And so we live in this world where many people don't see cultural diversity as a good thing. They only want to be with people like themselves. And people don't treat every human being as a valued person created in God's image. And people tend to think that their own culture is better than others and to criticize other cultures. And so we live in a world that is broken and divided by sin. And if we're honest, we can probably see some of those attitudes in our own hearts as well. But as we're going to see throughout this series, God's heart for all nations led him to finish what he started. See, God didn't let humanity's sin and rebellion destroy his very good idea in creation. This book goes on to tell the story of Jesus. That God, in his, in his mercy and his grace, decided to come and to rescue humanity. In verse 31 of our text, we read, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God knew that, that his command for humanity to fill the earth, it was very good. And he knew that his decision to make humanity in his image was very good. And so when Human rebellion and sin threatened to destroy God's very good idea. God, he wouldn't let that happen. And he came into our broken world himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the second and better Adam who bore the image of God perfectly. Jesus saw the image of God in every person he met. Jesus crossed cultural barriers and he lifted up people outside of his culture. And then he died on the cross to bear the sin of every human being from every culture in order to reconcile all of us to God and also to each other. And when he did that, he created a new community a community of reconciled people. And then he called his disciples to make disciples of all nations. He sent them as his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so brothers and sisters, here we are 2,000 years later gathered in this space or gathered online, and guess what? Here we are, people from various cultural backgrounds, gathered as people created in the image of God 
who have been forgiven of our sin and have been brought into this beautiful community. A community that will one day join that multitude that we read about in the book of Revelation. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, God's heart for all nations led him to finish what he started in creation. And one day we will see that finished work for ourselves. And in the meantime, we get to join here on earth what the multitude is said to be doing in heaven and that we will do as well. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we do not live out your very good idea of having humanity who are very different, so many different cultures, and yet who all bear your image. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we pull back, that we only want to stay with people like us, the ways that we judge and criticize people who are different from us, the ways that we don't treat people who are made in your image with dignity and honor as royalty. Forgive us for the ways that we create division. We thank you that you don't leave us in this place, but that you came into our world to save us, to rescue us, to forgive us, and to knit us back together into a community of many cultures, people who are very different, but people who are now the same because we have been saved by you, Jesus. We've been brought into your family. Help us to live this out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.